0: Thank you so much, worship team. What a great start to our morning today as we sing the Lord's praises together. Thank you, Jeff. Well, I want to welcome all of you this morning. Thanks for joining us. If we haven't met, my name is Jason Carlson. I'm the senior pastor here at Lakes Free, and uh, it's so good to be together today. If you're a, a visitor today, maybe this is your first time here at Lakes Free, or maybe you've been coming for a few weeks now, uh, we would love to meet you sometime, and there's a couple opportunities for you to uh, introduce yourselves to us. Uh, first of all, I'd encourage you to stop by our Next Steps area out in our, fo- out in our foyer here. Uh, we've got some great people there uh, serving before and after services who would love to say hello and we have a little gift bag for you if you're a visitor and uh, they can answer any questions you might have about the church. Also too, uh, every Sunday morning we're going to attempt uh, to have one of our pastors in our church cafe area. Uh, today Pastor Stephen is back there serving and so uh, if you'd like to say hello to him, he would love to greet you and meet you or your family and, and uh, answer any questions you might have. So uh, please uh, uh, come Come and let us know you're here. We would love to welcome you into our Lakes Free community. I want to say hello to uh, everyone watching online this morning. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, We're glad you're able to worship with us from home. And uh, also, too, want to say hello to everybody downstairs in our family-friendly venue. Uh, We have a great setup down there for families with young kids who need a little bit more flexibility. And so a special hello to you as well. We're glad you're with us. Well, friends, this morning I just want to share a quick announcement with you. We have a special event this evening... Uh, 6 to 7.30 tonight, downstairs in our fellowship hall, we are going to be celebrating Bev Phillips, uh, who recently retired from our uh, care ministries director position here at Lakes Free. She has served here with us for 15 years, and uh, we want to invite you as our church family to come out tonight. Uh, Anytime in that time frame, 6 to 7.30, you can stop by and just uh, say hello to Bev, thank her for her ministry. Uh, If she's had a special impact on you, whether uh, through a one-on-one relationship or through her ministry to your family or as part of our ABF uh, care ministries, um, she would uh, be really blessed and we would love it if you would come out and be a part of that with us tonight. So that's going to be from 6 to 730 right downstairs in our fellowship hall. If, uh, if you're interested in finding out more about what's happening here at Lakes Free, we have lots of things coming up, and I would encourage you to uh, do a couple things. You can check our church website. All of the announcements are always there on our church website. We also have our Lakes Free app that you can download on your cell phone, and uh, we will send you regular notifications with those events. But uh, there's a number of ways to stay connected and stay informed. Uh, you can always check the TVs out in the foyer on Sunday mornings. Those are going to be scrolling regularly. Right regular announcements. So again, we want to make sure that you have every opportunity to uh, be a part of the good things that God is doing here at our church this fall. I'm going to invite you to join me in a word of prayer this morning, and uh, we're going to ask the Lord's blessing as we continue our time of worship by going to his word. Uh, Friends, did you know one of the ways that we worship God is by studying his word? God has revealed his truth to us, and one of the ways that we can honor him and praise him and glorify him is by focusing on those uh, important truths that God has given us and then seeking to apply them to our lives. So let's pray that we would have a spirit of worship this morning as we look at a, a great passage talking about Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. It's going to be a, an exciting message this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this Sunday morning. We're so thankful for the privilege that is ours of being gathered here as your people. We just thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace, for your incredible love. We thank you for how 2,000 years ago you broke into human history. You took on flesh to become a man, to reveal yourself to us so that we could know you, so that we could understand who you are, so that we could know the way to a relationship with you. God, you are so good to us, and we just praise your name. And we are looking forward to this message today, to our study of John chapter 1. Verses 14 to 34, as we look again at the Word, in the beginning was the Word we saw last week. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And now today, John's going to continue to unveil the truth about the Word, Jesus Christ, to us as the Word became flesh. We're going to see that today, God, and I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our spirits to the power of this amazing truth and all that it means for each one of us here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was my sophomore year in high school. It was the first week of December. The year was 1991, and my family happened to be over in Honolulu, Hawaii, where my dad was teaching for youth with a mission that week. If you uh, are thinking about those dates, the first week of December 1991 was a very significant date in the history of our nation. That week that we were there in Honolulu happened to be the 50th anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And there were all kinds of veterans there that week who were there for the big celebrations. Uh, President George H.W. Bush had actually come to, to Hawaii to be a part of those Pearl Harbor celebrations on the 50th anniversary. And our family, we discovered that President Bush was actually staying at the same hotel that our family was staying at on Waikiki Beach there in Honolulu. We were at the Hilton Hawaiian Village, and uh, a couple days into our visit, we noticed all these extra crowds and reporters and cameras and and, uh, secret service agents and police, and we were thinking, okay, what's going on here, you know? And and, uh, we discovered the president was going to be staying at our hotel for a couple days over those 50th anniversary celebrations for the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Well... As you can imagine, you know, being a sophomore in high school and then my younger brother who was in junior high, I mean, we were pretty excited about this because, you know, we saw all these Secret Service agents all over the place. Uh, early in the morning from our window, from our balcony one morning, we looked out and George Bush was actually doing laps out in the ocean and the Secret Service had blocked off the whole beach and here's the president out there swimming laps. It was, it was such a cool experience, you know, seeing all this and being that close to the president. Well, one night our family had walked down the beach to a a restaurant uh, for dinner, and as we were making our way back, we noticed that the crowds were unusually large that evening around our hotel. In fact, uh, the main entrance to our lobby was just jam packed with hundreds of people. I mean, we we couldn't even make our way into our hotel. They had it all blocked off, and security and police were all over the place, and uh, and crowds and reporters. And uh, we started asking, you know, hey, what's going on here? and quickly discovered that President Bush had been giving a big speech in one of the ballrooms there at the hotel, and people were outside in the, in the lobby waiting for President Bush to come out, and the Secret Service had his motorcade out front, and you know, and it was all set up for his you know, grand exit, and, and the cameras were all set up, and the reporters were all there. Everybody was waiting to catch a glimpse of President Bush. Well, our family—we started thinking ourselves. You know, we're never going to get into our hotel going this direction. So, we had actually been at this hotel a few times over the years, and we decided. You know, we, we knew a back alley that went around the back side of the hotel, and we were going to sneak around the back side through this alley and uh, enter our hotel through a back door that was kind of a service entrance. But again, you know, we had been there a few times, so we had discovered some of these, you know, secret passages and ways around. And so uh, we walked around the side of the hotel. We started making our way down the lobby, and all of a sudden, a door came flying open, and a group of about six or eight guys in suits, Secret Service agents with earpieces, comes marching through. They literally bumped into our family, and they were like, all right, excuse us, friends. You know, they're moving us away. And before we realized it, we noticed right there in the center of this group of Secret Service agents was President Bush. We were literally an arm's reach away from the president, literally bumped into the Secret Service agents who were sneaking him out this back door down this back alley to avoid the crowds in the front of the hotel. And uh, it was just a crazy experience. You know, here were all these people, hundreds of people and reporters waiting for President Bush in the front entrance of the lobby and here's our family trying to sneak around the crowds, and we end up bumping right in to the president in a Secret Service detail. Now, obviously, it was just a really quick encounter, a real brief encounter, but uh, my brother and I, especially, you know, as young guys, we thought that that was pretty cool, uh, being that close to the president. Now, I share this story with us this morning, friends, because one of the primary reasons for why the Apostle John wrote his gospel And if you were here last week, we started this new study in the Gospel of John. Well, one of the primary reasons why John wrote his Gospel was to make sure that people wouldn't be duped into seeking after or following counterfeit versions of Jesus Christ. Towards the end of the first century, there were all kinds of cults that were growing, trying to lead people astray, trying to get them to follow after other Jesus Christ, false Jesus Christs. And unlike those Secret Service agents we saw that day in Hawaii, John wasn't seeking to hide Jesus from the crowds. John wasn't seeking to mislead anybody or distract them from the truth. No, John was seeking to shine a bright spotlight on the truth of who Jesus is and how we can know him personally. John didn't want to hide the truth. He wanted to reveal the truth to us. And if you remember, as we saw last week, John wrote his gospel as an apologetic and evangelistic tract to try to persuade people to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. John wrote his gospel as an appeal to both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, to trust Jesus Christ as the Word. As we saw last week, the Logos. God, the creator of the universe who has come into the world in the form of a man. John wanted us to know who the Logos was and how we can have a relationship with him. And now today, John's going to continue to shine his bright spotlight on Jesus Christ. As we pick up where we left off last week in chapter 1, John's going to provide for us today further illumination on the nature of the word the Logos, the one who was with God, the one who was God. And he's also going to introduce to us today an important character in Jesus' story, a man by the name of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, a voice called by God to prepare God's people for the arrival of the Messiah, the one who would be the Savior of the world. Today we're in John chapter 1, verses 14 through 34, and we're going to look at John's ongoing revelation of the word of Jesus Christ. Let me read our passage for us this morning. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screens behind me. John continues here in his introduction to his gospel in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Friends, remember last week, John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We saw last week that word, that life empowering force that the Greeks believed in, that word, the creative voice of God who made the universe, that word was with God, that word was God. And now in verse 14, we discover that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. What a great testimony that John shares with us here about the revelation of the Word, the Logos, the Word who was with God, who was God, and who became flesh and dwelt among us. Today, John, in our passage, reveals three key truths about Jesus Christ for us. John begins in his Gospel here as we conclude chapter 1, as we continue on at chapter 1. The Apostle John reveals to us Jesus as the Word arrived. The Word arrived in verses 14 through 18. Friends, if you were with us last week, you might remember I opened up my sermon sharing the story of a book I've recently finished reading called The Cold Vanish. It's a story about this young man, Jacob Gray, who back in 2017 set off on a bike tour and he disappeared in Olympic National Park. And his father then undertook over the last few years a desperate search, seeking to find his son. It was interesting to me after the services last Sunday, I had about a half dozen or more people ask me out in the foyer, Jason, how's the story end? Did did that guy ever find his son? Did they ever find that missing guy? And And I told those of you who asked me about that book, I said, I don't want to ruin the story for you. I'm not not going to give it away. Well, friends, when it comes to the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Apostle John wasn't at all concerned about not giving away the story. In fact, that was the whole point for the Apostle John, making sure that the story was clearly told and that there was no mistaking who Jesus Christ was. John wanted to make sure the whole story was told, and we see this very clearly in verse 18 of our prologue here. At the end of John's prologue in verse 18, John says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John says here that he, Jesus, has made him God known to us. Jesus has made God known. Friends, do you want to know who God is? Jesus has made him known. Now that phrase there is a very interesting phrase. He has made him known. In the Greek, it's just one word. Exoeiaomai. And that word in the Greek means the whole story has been told. The whole story has been told. And so what John is conveying here to us is that, look at if you want to know God... If you want to understand who he is, look to Jesus Christ. He's the whole story. There's nothing more you need to find. There's no secret mystical knowledge. There's no supernatural experiences you have to, to, uh, to seek out. Look to Jesus. In him, the whole story's been told. It's all been laid bare. Jesus reveals to us who God is. John tells us the Logos has arrived. The Logos has arrived and become flesh. He has broken into human history, as verse 14 tells us. Friends, do you remember what took place on New Year's Eve 20 years ago? How many of you remember New Year's Eve 20 years ago? What took place? It was a big deal. Y2K, right? Do you remember Y2K? Do you remember watching on the news that night? All the TV networks showed... Capital cities all over the world shooting off fireworks, celebrating the turn of the millennium, Y2K. Tokyo, Beijing, Moscow, Paris, London, Washington, D.C., capital cities all over the world shooting off fireworks. Friends, why was the whole world celebrating Y2K? The whole world stopped to celebrate 2,000 years for only one reason. They celebrated because the entire world could not escape the reality that 2,000 years ago, something happened that radically changed human history for all time. 2,000 years ago, history was split forever into B.C. and A.D. when God broke into human history, personally revealing himself to us, becoming a man so that we could know who he is. And how to have a relationship with him john says in verse 14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us that word dwelt that john uses in the greek is a great word the word dwelt in the greek is skeno and it it means to take up residence to encamp to pitch a tent and john is sharing here with all who read that God, the Logos, became flesh and he encamped among us. He set up his tent right in the midst of us. John's Jewish readers would have seen this word and when they thought about the connotations of this word, they would have made a direct connection to another time in history when God came and pitched his tent among the people. Friends, do you remember back in the Old Testament after the Israelites left Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness before entering into the promised land, God had told the Israelites to build a tent. It was called the tabernacle. And they pitched a tent in the midst of the the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness. And there in the tabernacle, the glory of God appeared. And God resided there amidst his people. And Jesus now, John tells us here in John chapter 1, Jesus now has come, and he has tabernacled among us. He has pitched his tent among us. He has encamped among us so that we might know who God is. We learn a few powerful things here about the word who became flesh and dwelt among us in verses 14 through 18. What do we learn about Jesus as the Word who dwelt among us here from our passage this morning? Number one, we learn from John that Jesus Christ was fully human. Jesus was fully human. John says, the Word became flesh. Now understand this, friends. In the Greek, there are a number of words that John could have used to convey humanity. But John chose a very specific word to convey the truth that the word became flesh. He used the Greek word sarx, sarx. And sarx is a very earthy, raw word. Sarks refers to meat, to muscle, to blood and guts, Some of you here are deer hunters and the the deer season has just opened for for bull hunters and some of my buddies have already shot a deer and for those of you who are going to go deer hunting this fall, you will know that when you get a deer and you start dressing that deer, you are going to be arms deep in blood and guts, aren't you? You're going to be arms deep, deep in flesh, in meat, in muscle. Friends, this is what John was conveying to us. The Word became flesh, blood and guts, muscle, bone, meat. This was real humanity here that the Word took on. Jesus wasn't some supernatural ghost, some spirit being. He was God in flesh. And as a man, Jesus could relate to us in every way. As we're going to see later this morning, as a man, Jesus would become the perfect substitute for you and for me. The perfect substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. Secondly, we learn here in verses 14 through 18, not only was Jesus fully human, but he was also fully God. John says, we have seen his glory. Now, now, commentators are in disagreement over what this glory that they saw refers to us. Is, are, are, is John talking about just the totality of Jesus' presence and life among them, all of His miracles, His teachings, his way of life? Is that the glory? Or as I suspect, maybe John is talking about a very specific experience a very specific time recorded in the Gospels, like in Matthew chapter 17, for example, if you want to go and check it out yourself, when Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they went up to a high mountain north of the Sea of Galilee, and there on the mountaintop, Jesus in what is known as the transfiguration, shone himself brightly as the sun. They literally saw Jesus in all of his divine glory in their midst. In that same moment, Moses and Elijah show up. (laughs) Can you imagine the impression this made on John? When John says, we have seen his glory, John is saying, look at, trust me, we have seen his glory, and I will never forget it. Jesus Christ shone like the sun. We know that this was no mere man. This was God. This was God who came in human flesh, but he was still fully God. This past week, Lifeway Christian Publishers released their annual State of the Church Theology Survey. Just this past week. As I was reading through the survey results of Christians all across the United States, one of the things I thought was most interesting and and troubling at the same time is in LifeWay's most recent survey, they revealed that 30% of evangelicals today, three out of ten, deny the divinity or deity of Jesus Christ. Three out of ten evangelicals today say, no, no, Jesus wasn't really God. He was just a man. He was just a good teacher, a a loving guy, a a great prophet, but he wasn't God. Friends, this isn't the message of the Apostle John. Let Let me say this very clearly this morning. If you deny the deity of Jesus Christ, friends, not only are you not a true evangelical, but at this point, you're not even a true Christian. There is no such thing as being a Christian who doesn't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was God in flesh. Man and God, fully both things in his incarnation. The apostle John wouldn't have even fathomed a Christianity without a divine Jesus Christ. Think about all that John experienced in his life because he believed that jesus was truly god in flesh john gave up everything in his life to serve and follow jesus his brother james was martyred because he believed jesus was god in human flesh john's best friends the other 11 disciples all were martyred horrifically because they believed that jesus was god in human flesh John would be sent to the prison colony on the island of Patmos as an old man because he believed that Jesus was God in human flesh. Friends, this was no made-up story. This was no mistaking of who Jesus truly was. John says, we have seen his glory. And John and his fellow disciples were willing to lay down their lives because they knew that Jesus Christ was fully God. And friends, just like his humanity was essential for our salvation, so too was Jesus' divinity, his deity. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Thirdly, here in verses 14, we discover that Jesus conveyed for us the totality of God's character. John says that Jesus perfectly possessed and displayed the two most important qualities of God's nature. John says that Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth in Jesus Christ we see perfectly both the grace of God and the truth of God. In his righteousness in Jesus's righteous life we learn about God's holiness, we learn about his will for our lives, how he desires us to live. We we learn the truth in other words. In, in Jesus's selflessness in his humility, in his sacrificial love, we discover the incomparable nature of God's amazing grace. I love how John describes the grace of Jesus Christ in verse 16. John says, "For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. In the Greek, that statement can be translated "grace." Replacing grace, or grace heaped upon grace. Jesus is so full of grace, friends, he just keeps heaping it on. Grace upon grace, a never-ending, limitless supply of grace. I was thinking this past week of that statement, grace upon grace, grace replacing grace, grace heaped upon grace. It reminded me of this past year when my family we were over in Hawaii. I was teaching for youth with a mission there as well. And, and by the way, it's a tough gig, you know, but somebody's got to do it. And, and uh, one afternoon, my kids had been playing in the waves down by the beach, and we had to go and get ready because I was teaching that evening. And so I called out to Caleb and Addie as they're playing in the waves. Come on, kids, we got to go, come in. we got to go get ready. Dad's got to teach tonight. And Caleb and Addie were like, no, Dad, just a few more minutes, just a few more minutes. And, and I said, kids, the waves will still be here tomorrow. And guess what? We woke up the next morning and the waves were still rolling in one after another. And I thought, what a great illustration for the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. The grace that just keeps on coming, wave after wave. Grace upon grace. Grace heaped upon grace. Friends, some of you here this morning might need a fresh dose of God's grace in your life today. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed with the weight of your own sin and rebellion. Maybe you're here this morning struggling with a circumstance in your life that just seems beyond your control. Maybe you're looking back at past experiences, past events that continue to beat you up and weigh you down. John says, look to Jesus Christ. In him is grace upon grace. Maybe today you need to just lay back and Rest in the waves of God's grace and let them wash over you over and over again. That's the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. You are free. You are beloved. You are a child of God. You have an eternal inheritance. Grace upon grace upon grace. Friends, turn to Jesus Christ and experience that amazing grace that is ours in him. Secondly, here in our passage in verses 19 through 28 this morning, John reveals to us Jesus as the word announced," the word announced. One of the earliest books I remember reading as a kid is a, a great story by a guy named Colonel Robert Scott. It's called, "God is My Copilot." Any of you ever read this story? It was published back in 1960 after World War II. I found this as a kid at my grandparents' house up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. It was one of my uncle's books that they had read when they were kids. And and I remember picking up this story and just the fascinating account of this colonel in the United States Army. He flew flew P-52 Mustangs in the China Burmese Theater of World War II. And uh, he called the book God is My Co-Pilot because he attributes his survival through all of his daring missions to the reality of God's presence with him all along the way. That statement, God is my co-pilot, has become popularized over the years and you'll often see this on bumper stickers and elsewhere. It was very interesting, though, this past weekend, my son and I and Caden uh, Osmondson, we were driving up to our family's cabin in northern Wisconsin, and we drove through Cumberland, Wisconsin. And there in Cumberland, the Methodist church often has these, you know, pithy church signs out front on the roadside. And, and that day, as we drove by, I noticed that the church sign read, if God is your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. And I thought, you know what, that's a great way to put it. If God is your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. Friends, God doesn't want to be your co-pilot. He wants to be flying the plane. And when we follow Jesus Christ, we need to put Jesus Christ first. And you know something? As we turn here in our story and we discover this character called John the Baptist, one of the things we discover very clearly about John the Baptist is that with him, there was no mistaking who the pilot was. For John the Baptist, the Lord, the Messiah, was always number one. And we see this very clearly in our passage this morning. John tells us in verses 19 through 23 how the Jews sent ambassadors down to John to to discover who he is. And and the Jews started questioning John the Baptist. They they said to John, are you Elijah? Or, Or first they said, are you the Christ? He says, no, I'm not the Christ. And then they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He says, I'm not. Why would they ask him if he's Elijah? Well, friends, the very last words in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, chapter 4, talk about Elijah returning prior to the day of the Lord. And so the Jews were thinking, maybe this is Elijah. Maybe, maybe the Messiah's coming soon, and here's John. And John says, no, I'm not Elijah. They say, what then? Are you the prophet?" Who's the prophet? Well, in Deuteronomy 18, Moses had told the people of Israel that another prophet would come after him that they should listen to. Okay, thank you, Siri. She's looking up Deuteronomy 18 for me. Um, Moses is making a messianic reference to the ultimate coming of the Messiah. He's telling his people, look at another prophet's coming that you need to listen to. But, But John the Baptist says, look at, I'm not The prophet. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. Well, who are you, they say? And in verse 23, John declares, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. He quotes the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. I am the voice of one in the wilderness crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. See, friends, John the Baptist saw himself as a herald for the Messiah, What is a herald? In the ancient world, whenever a king or an emperor was coming through town, a herald would go before the king, and he would shout to the people in the way, in the path, in the road, the king is coming, make straight the way for the king. In other words, get out of the way because somebody more important is coming through. And John the Baptist saw himself in that role as a voice crying out, as a herald letting the people of Israel know that the Messiah was coming. See, John the Baptist, he wasn't concerned about his personal acclaim. He had followers. He had people coming to hear him. He had people coming to be baptized by him. And John, John, he wasn't worried about his acclaim. He just wanted to point people to the coming Messiah and his fame. That was what was important to John the Baptist. I love this quote I found this week from Pastor Josh Moody in his commentary on the Gospel of John. He says, a significant part of John's preaching was telling people that he was nothing special. Isn't that great quote? A significant part of John's preaching was telling people that he was nothing special. Friends, let me tell you something this morning. If I, as your pastor, ever forget that truth, You guys go out and make sure you find yourself a new pastor. Too many pastors in our world today make it all about them and less about the one that we really should be pointing people to, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the reason we're here this morning, friends. We're not here to hear a clever sermon or great music. We're we're here to honor Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for the 10 years I had here at Lakes Free serving under Pastor Rick. If I had a dollar for every time I heard Pastor Rick make this statement, this is God's church. If I had a dollar every time I heard him say that, I'd be a millionaire today, probably. Pastor Rick used to always say, this is God's church. Friends, this is God's church. This isn't Jason's church. This isn't our elder board's church. This this isn't even our church. This is God's church. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's why we're here. God put us here in this community to bear witness to the reality of who he is and what he's done for us. Let's make sure that we never forget that. Let's continue to keep the main thing, the main thing pointing people to the one who matters most. Thirdly, this morning, John reveals to us Jesus as the Word appeared. In verses 29 through 34, John the Baptist points out Jesus as the one the people were waiting for, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. John says in verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, it's very interesting, this scene took place just a few days before the annual Passover celebration in Jerusalem. We're going to see that here in a couple of weeks in John chapter 2. And, and, and so for the Jews, when they hear John use this terminology, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, they would have immediately thought of a reference to that Passover lamb the sacrificial Passover lamb from hundreds of years earlier when God delivered his people from Egypt. God said he was going to strike down all the firstborn sons as a judgment against the people of Egypt. But the Israelites, they were to take a lamb and sacrifice that lamb and smear the blood over their doorways. And when the angel of the Lord came through, he would see that blood that covered the homes of the Israelites. And he would pass over those homes. And so for generations, the Israelites celebrated the Passover, remembering God's deliverance through the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. They may have also thought of the the twice-daily sacrifices that took place in the temple. Every day, the Jewish priests would sacrifice two lambs, one in the morning, one in the evening, as a means of atonement to provide forgiveness for the people's sins. As a boy, John the Baptist would have seen his own father, Zechariah, who was a priest in the temple. He would have seen Zechariah return home at the end of the day with blood-stained clothing after performing the sacrifices on behalf of the sins of the people. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. See, Romans 6.23, the Apostle Paul tells us that the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. And so we need to somehow atone for our sins, to make ourselves right with our Creator God and our rebellion against His holiness and His righteousness. And God, in His amazing grace, provided a temporary way to make that atonement through the shedding of another's blood a sacrificial lamb's blood that was shed on our behalf. But as we also learn in the book of Hebrews, the blood of an animal is just a temporary covering. It's not a perfect substitute for our sin as human beings, and so there needed to come another, one who who could be a true substitute for you and I as human beings. But that substitute also needed to be a, a spotless lamb, a perfect lamb, a fully righteous human being who had no sin so that his sacrifice could be fully sufficient to cover the sins that you and I have committed. And this is why Jesus came as both flesh, man, and God to be the perfect sacrifice for us. Hebrews 10:11 through14 says, "Every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet, For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified." The author of Hebrews here is telling us that that in Jesus, who was fully man, he was able to serve as the perfect substitute for us. And in Jesus, who was also fully God, he was the perfect sinless offering. So he thereby became our perfect substitutionary, atoning sacrifice. He paid the penalty that we all deserve to pay. He died on our behalf. He suffered and shed his blood for our sins so that we could be made right in the eyes of our creator God. Friends, that's amazing grace. That that is what Christianity is all about. The whole essence of Christianity can be summed up in verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what it's all about. It's why we're here today, it's why we worship, and it's why God sends us out into the world, like John the Baptist, to be heralds for the Messiah because the world needs Jesus. The world needs to know that a way has been made to receive forgiveness from our sins, that we've been offered an atoning sacrifice that can make us right with our holy creator God. One of one of the great paintings in the history of Christian art is a 17th century painting by a Spanish painter named Francisco de Zurbarán. It's a painting called Agnus Dei. Agnus Dei which in Latin means Lamb of God. It's a beautiful representation of the sacrificial lamb. The sacrificial lamb that God provided to be the atoning substitute for our sins the sacrificial lamb that laid down its life so that we could experience forgiveness i want you to look at this painting this morning as i conclude and i want to read for you a section of the prophet isaiah's words in isaiah chapter 53 and as i read i want you to meditate on the truths of what i share while you look At the Lamb of God. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced. For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin, the rebellion of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Let me close in prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away our sins, We thank you for this powerful testimony here in John's Gospel this morning of who you are, the Word who became flesh, so that we could know you, so that we could have a relationship with you, and so that we could receive your amazing grace through the perfect substitutionary sacrifice that you provided for us as the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb the Lamb who was fully human and fully God, our perfect substitute and the holy sufficient sacrifice for our sins. Jesus, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be reconciled with you. And Lord, I just pray that if there is anybody here this morning who has never received that great gift, that sacrifice that that gift of love that you provided for us when you shed your blood on the cross, laying down your life as the Lamb of God. I pray that that person here this morning would, would turn to you and trust in you and put their hope in you, that they would call out to you this morning, even right now in the quiet of their own heart, and recognize, Lamb of God, I need you. I want to receive the gift of forgiveness that you purchased through your sacrificial death. I want, to be made cle- I want to be cleansed. I want to be made right. I want to know what it is to be called a child of God by putting my trust in Jesus. Lord, for those of us who have received that amazing gift of grace, I pray that we would be faithful in our calling to share that truth to herald that truth with a world that so desperately needs to know the grace and forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. You are the way, Lord. You are the truth. You are the life. You are the only hope for us who are sinners. And so, God, may we take it upon ourselves this week to herald your glory, to herald your amazing grace, to make straight the way of the Lord in the lives of people who need to know that there is hope and salvation in you. God, we commit ourselves to that cause. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning as we close with our benediction from the book of Jude. And again, if you would, uh, please remain in your seats or standing in your area here until our ushers dismiss you row by row this morning. Here in Jude, verses 24 and 25, we read, And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you, friends. Have a great week. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here. And I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.